at SFM Radio and at Pimelo Mutile on Twitter. All right, so I did say that we're going to have a closer look also again at COVID-19, how it functions and so on. It sounds like we're doing this every single week. I suppose we need to because there is so much misinformation out there. So we decided to invite Professor uh, Adriano Duse, who is HOD of Clinical Microbiology and Infectious Diseases at Wits University and the National Health Laboratory Services. He joins us now on the line. A very good afternoon and thank you so much for joining us, Professor Duse. Good afternoon. Well, let's start at the very beginning. Jeez. Uh, um, lots of conspiracies around the virus. I have been saying to people, please stop with the conspiracies, but I think maybe you will do the explaining of the conspiracy <laughs> of the virus. Do we know, how much do we know now about its origins? Please, please explain that to our listeners. Right. So coronaviruses have been known to us um, and around for some time. Uh, Most of us have had a coronavirus infection in the past in that about a third of common colds are caused by these viruses. But they're able to mutate and adapt to species, new species, very quickly. And with mutation, there are different behaviors that these viruses can show. And as we had in 2002-03, the SARS coronavirus emerging, um, which caused serious infections in humans uh, and was linked with a mortality about 10%, and MERS coronavirus, Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, in 2012. We now have the third um, human coronavirus with having a major health impact. And this is the SARS coronavirus, too, that we're talking about. There's absolutely no evidence to suggest that this virus was made in the laboratory. Um, there's no evidence to suggest that, in fact, 5G cards or 5G, sorry, I beg your pardon, signals are responsible for killing people. There is no evidence whatsoever that this is a witchcraft. So, so this is a biological phenomenon. Um, uh, one could even predict in studies in 2015 the coronaviruses by recombining um, among themselves could become more virulent and cause a, a third major human coronavirus outbreak, which is the one that we currently are in now. So I think people must relax. Like people who were really skeptical of HIV many, many years ago and thought that it didn't exist, it was caused by witchcraft, um, the people eventually understood the biological phenomenon and that is a disease that is transmitted and the reasons why we have to go in, in all of these steps of uh, social distancing, lockdown, etc., is because we're trying to actually stop those numbers from increasing. I mean, to 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 the point that you're making, you know, people need to be uh, thoughtful and all of those things. But it doesn't really help when you have a, a very prominent president of a country saying, well, this is a Chinese virus. It does fuel the fire. Yes, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, what is really quite sad and been outbreak responses for for a long time and going into into countries uh, such as Central Africa, West Africa and so on. It's really quite sad that every time that humanity is under stress, it starts shifting blame or it starts uh, pointing fingers. Um, and, and a lot of these attacks become racial, uh, which is really not acceptable. We know of, of people, certainly I know person of a person who was almost um, was harassed, I would say, in a shopping centre in Cresta because she was Chinese. Um, and this is completely country. Uh, you know, an infectious disease is infectious disease, and as you can see, it does not discriminate between Chinese, white, blacks, um, 
or, or any other racial group. And I think we need to accept that we're all in this together and we've got to obviously um, do our very best to make this uh, pandemic uh, come under control. Let's talk about its treatment. And there are also, again, there are lots of remedies out there. Do this, don't do this, ginger, <laughs> lemon, this and the next thing. Can we talk about what Western medicine has provided for us to treat this disease? Right. So currently, the official treatment of the infection when it is severe is, is really to sustain the patient during the illness. That means that if they land up in a hospital and they may need, for example, um, uh, oxygen supplementation or even ventilation, mechanical ways of making patients breathe. Um, those are the things that we do. We support the patients with infection. Um, there aren't any antiviral drugs at the moment that are registered for use. So that's the first thing. If you have got a milder version of the disease, which the majority of people do have, and it's diagnosed in the treatment that you should have is symptomatic treatment on the home front. And, um, and around these treatment issues, lots of stories are coming out. Uh, we certainly have got some interesting old and new drugs uh, that combined might be able to decrease uh, mortality in people with severe disease. Uh, and so you'll see, in, in, if you go online, lots of things about mixtures of a drug called chloroquine together yeah. with an antiretroviral. Um, these are not officially recommended. Okay. But many uh, states and many governments might, uh, for example, decide uh, that they're going to pull that out as a, uh, as a stop measure. Um, there are also newer antivirals that are already in phase three trials that um, were actually developed for Ebola disease, believe it or not, uh, that may be promising in this infection. But we don't have an official uh, doctrine on the use of antivirals or any of the mixtures. So, so for, is, for, for those who, who, again, are consuming a lot of this information coming from everywhere, that's the link to Cuba, correct? Well, I'm, I'm not sure that it's a link to Cuba. It's becoming also very much a link to Trump <laughs> because Trump also um, came out in, a, in an interview or rather an address to the nation saying that America will get in chloroquine and chloroquine will be the solution to everything. Um, so, so Cuba is one aspect, but uh, in fact also how chloroquine has been paraded around um, in other ways is quite disconcerting. Uh, so, so, yeah. Uh, basically. So, so, Prof, just for those who also are hearing, again, I said, you know, officials are making these really profound statements. It wasn't so long ago that Gauteng was announcing something related to Cuba. What was that? So, I'm not entirely sure what. I know that, uh, that Cuban teams have, um, have put together treatment protocols, uh, but I'm not entirely sure what the South African authorities meant when we were making a Cuban link. So, I wouldn't like to really comment. Mm. I don't have that full background. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but, you know, on, on this topic, let's quickly get to home mm. remedies. Mm. Please, people must not overdo vitamin C. Okay. Um, you know, take, yeah, take average or, or, or normal doses. If you have 1,000 milligrams a day, yes. which is already pretty high, do not take 2,000, 3,000, 4,000. Interesting. Uh, that, that is not uh, recommended. But certainly anything that peps up the immune system, there's nobody who will stop you taking it. If you say you want to take a bit of zinc, vitamin C, etc., all of these things definitely have some beneficial well, effects. But I you say they all prevent the I, have, I, I, I mean, I, I, I'm shocked because I have heard a, ho a homeopath who recommends 2,000 milligrams of vitamin yeah. C at this time. Well, just know, tell you, us why that's not okay. 
Yeah, well, you know, you, you're probably actually going to wee most of it out. Um, and that's the bottom line. So, so I think importantly is good rest and good nutrition. Uh, and, and just remember that supplements are great, uh, but one shouldn't really overdo those supplements. And if you decide uh, that you can tolerate, for example, a lemon that is submerged in, in, uh, in something like tea or you like ginger or whatever, by all means take it. What, what, the bottom line is that it's not necessarily actually going to give you the protection um, that you need. You know, it's not, it's not 100% um, effective in any way. But people do feel better and they must do these things, and especially if you believe in a remedy. Uh, as long as you don't over-exaggerate and cause harm, you should take that remedy because um, at the end of the day, uh, you come off possibly with a more positive attitude towards health. <laughs> I think the funny bit is, especially if you believe in it, keep doing it. See, are you calling us from Plettenberg Bay? Hi. Hello. Um, sorry, man. Um, I missed some of what the gentleman was talking about. I couldn't even get his no, name. Y- your question is fine. I think he'll repeat it if it needs to be. All right, then. Uh, my question, actually, I heard him talking about something like witch, witchcraft. Mm. And I kept asking myself, because always when people um, uh, talk with new viruses and diseases, mm. they would always talk of witchcraft. Mm-hmm. And the perspective would be that is, uh, actually, maybe I should ask, is it uh, from which, uh, like, for instance, us Africans, Africans, like I would talk from a closer perspective. If he means ubutakata, mm-hmm. you see, it uh, in in our interpretation, anything that is negative, whether it's done by human or it's whatever, it is ubutakata. Mm-hmm. You see. Yeah. So now I'm listening to how he interpreted. I'm not sure whether he's taking that uh, uh, part where he says about witchcraft. He means it from a Western perspective. And also, my other point was that um, I don't hear much being uh, uh, done like into consulting with uh, our African uh, uh, um, uh, 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 traditional leaders that are, that are actually recognized by, uh, 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 by, by our structures in government. But then uh, what I hear, though, in these little small stations, somehow you would hear one person talking from Transkai about uh, the perspectives and stuff, but it's not uh, wildly uh, um, given to everyone to make the decision. We hear only from the bio-model uh, uh, perspective. You know. Professor Dusa, you want to respond to that? Yes, so I agree with the caller in, in many ways. This is very much, in fact, our Western understanding of infectious disease. Um, and that is that there's a germ and a germ infects. Um, we don't attribute it in the biological model uh, to any external force. Um, we, we just actually have much more fundamental or, or bottom line for us, the germ infects a human. But what I was really trying to say with the witchcraft story is that a lot of people thought that HIV, for example, never existed. Um, and it was over time that people understood the transmission dynamics and started realizing it was a virus, we test for it in the blood, etc. So, so it's very definitely the, my comments, my approach are very Western orientated and, and they are not encompassing, in fact, the rich cultural context of, um, of, of, um, all the various, in fact, uh, uh, groups worldwide. 
Um, that's the first important point that I want to make. Um, and the second point was around the consultation with traditional leaders. I honestly don't know whether such consultation has occurred or not. Um, I would be surprised if it didn't. But certainly within the, the ambit in which I operate, I'm not really sure what has been done at a broader level to bring uh, traditional healers. So the perception uh, of the gentleman is that there might have been very little, no consultation. I can't really comment on it, but I fully agree that the traditional healers are fully recognized health professionals um, and, uh, and will play their role in any outbreak, um, uh, whatever that outbreak is. But, but the extent of the consultation is, um, is something that I don't know, but we can find out about and perhaps give the, re- the listener some information. Yes. At a later stage. Prof, no. if you don't mind, can I just take a quick break? Allow others to call with their questions because I, I, I've got a lot of people calling through and then we will continue with this conversation. Is that okay with you? All right, Professor Adriana Dusa, we're just going to give him a, a minute to breathe and get some water uh, while we also put up your calls. 0114821510. You're listening to Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. Adriano Duce is my guest and we are looking at the coronavirus COVID-19. He is HOD of Clinical Microbiology and Infectious Diseases at Wits University and the National Health Laboratory Services. Uh, Prof, one of the questions that has come through is the issue that's been going around in social media around specific medication that people are saying is responsible for the death of millions of people around the world, particularly in, I don't think we're at millions yet, but particularly in Italy. Um, some There's a list of medication that people are saying is, is deadly for people who, who've got COVID-19. Your response to that? Yeah, so that is a very complicated question. Um, uh, one of the medicines that people are associating to potential ease of infection with COVID-19 virus is, um, is an antihypertension drug that is a drug to low blood pressure uh, called, well, of a group of these drugs called ACE inhibitors. Um, and the reason is that there seems to be um, evidence that, uh, that ACE inhibitors increase the number of, of ACE receptors on tissues, uh, target tissues of, of the, uh, the SARS-CoV-2 virus, uh, and that therefore can take a, a, a better hold and cause infection um, more effectively. That's, that's really in a very simplistic way how to put it. Um, this has been a lot of toing and froing around uh, are ACE inhibitors in fact contributing to increased deaths or not. Uh, the American Heart Association and various other groups, when evaluating the early evidence, uh, suggested that this was in fact not necessarily um, the case. And in fact, uh, they, a, a statement came out from them saying that they did not believe that people who had hypertension should stop taking these ACE inhibitor drugs. Um, there has been, however, a bit more out in literature when people are saying, well, we should relook at this whole story a little bit more carefully. Um, and, and certainly there has been a, a plea to reevaluate this. Now, in Italy, for example, there are lots of elderly people. We have got the second oldest population in the world. I'm Italian, so um, I can assure you of that. China has got the first. Mm-hmm. So we've got the first is, uh, important factor, which is age, which counts against them. A lot of people are, are hypertensive um, uh, in old age, and, and a lot of them are taking ACE inhibitors. So exactly what the correlation is needs to be clarified, I think, in further work. Uh, But it is an interesting observation and certainly one that is not 
uh, not words have been dismissed. Um, uh, we, we, we need to watch that space and see what more findings show. The second thing is around a drug that most of us take, which is brufen or ibuprofen. I'm sure you've heard about that drug. It's available over the counter um, quite easily. Uh, you know, for example, uh, neurofen contains brufen. And the idea is that also this drug might actually increase people's likelihood of getting um, COVID disease. Again, uh, this has been a little bit disconcerting for the public because um, uh, French um, authorities uh, stated that there was a potential connection between the two. Evidence was presented then to the World Health Organization uh, who said do not use ibuprofen at all to low temperature or to treat with symptoms uh, symptoms of people with, with, with uh, COVID disease. And then within 48 hours, WHO said they reviewed all the evidence again and there was no convincing link. And that ibuprofen could not really be dismissed as a potential drug of choice. So when you're presented with conflicting evidence like this, uh, there, are, there are possibilities if you want to be safe rather than sorry. Uh, ACE inhibitors are not the only drugs that treat hypertension. There are other alternatives. And certainly to reduce uh, fever and to control symptomatic pain, there are are drugs other than, for example, uh, brufen that one can use. So uh, so I think if you're in consultation with a a healthcare professional, people can steer away uh, uh, from ACE inhibitors and from certain anti-inflammatories. Until we know better. If they choose to do it, until we know better. Uh, Certainly there's no official position against either of the two. Um, and, you know, with hypertension being such a dangerous disease and people having strokes, there's always concern that people stop taking important medication um, and then actually have all kinds of different complications as a consequence. Uh, no, I, I think that's clear. If you choose not to, rather stay away until there's further, there's further investigation. For now, you, you have the choice, sort of. The official standpoint is that, that uh, both ibuprofen and uh, uh, and an ACE inhibitor in one of those groups uh, would be, in fact, uh, still an appropriate treatment. Right. Um, yeah. Kelly, you're calling us from KZN. Thanks for your patience. Hi. Hi, thank you. Um, I just wanted to talk about chloroquine. Um, I, you know, and all the sort of things going around on social media that chloroquine somehow is a magical cure or treatment for um, COVID-19. Um, I take chloroquine, I've got lupus, which is an autoimmune disorder. I take chloroquine every day, which and it makes me feel so much better. And, you know, we are, us um, sufferers of lupus and rheumatoid arthritis, for instance, we need that drug on a daily basis. And we can't get it in South Africa because of all these rumors and things going around that it treats and I was talking to my pharmacist and he said I can give you the last 20 tablets I have but he said we can't get it and he said it's a real problem and I just wanted to put it out there that you know there are people that need that drug just to sort of have less pain or less yeah on a daily basis and it and it yeah I just when you were talking about it I just wanted to put it out there because well thank you yeah thank you for bringing it out it is indeed a real issue for us to start thinking of your lupus, uh, there are various conditions um, uh, or various drugs, in fact, uh, that are effective against autoimmune disorders, and definitely chloroquine is one of them. Uh, the biggest problem with chloroquine is that has, there has been a mass hysteria. So firstly, you know, because we've got malaria that is resistant, um, 
uh, that we have to deal with with travellers and going into into cipra malaria uh, areas. Um, chloroquine is no longer the drug of choice um, to give people for prophylaxis against malaria, certainly if uh, for our South African travel travellers. Uh, and uh, because of, there's a lot of philsiprin uh, resistance out there. Um, and, and that is, without a question, uh, one of the potential uh, aspects of, of, uh, of shortages. But the second thing is that, in fact, um, a lot of people are looking for uh, chloroquine, which is also called plasmaquine um, commercially. And um, we desperately need whatever stocks there are to save those critically ill patients. Um, and so I'm not sure what the extent of stockpiling has been. I really can't tell you. But I know that everybody is running around looking for chloroquine, uh, and, um, and, and, and it is a problem. We also, unfortunately, have the, the, the group of people that say, well, I don't want to get COVID, and I've read this and that on the social media about chloroquine, and if I take a tablet, I will never get COVID-19 disease. In other words, they think of using it as prophylaxis. And this makes the whole situation even more dramatic because at the end of the day, the patient who's dying or who's very, let's put them in the severely ill category, um, is a patient that actually requires this drug most desperately and other patients like yourself, for example, that have a targeted and accepted indication for the drug that are not having access. It is a problem. We acknowledge that in, in every possible way. Kelly, is that, is that okay for you? Yes, yeah. The pharmacist was actually saying people are coming in and saying they've got malaria. Yeah. And yeah. he's found out that they're actually just by saying they've got malaria and then being given the drug mm. over the yeah. counter, which is it's um, registered that if for treatment of malaria, it can be given over the counter. Whereas in my, my case, I have to have a prescription for it and I can't get it because lying and saying they've got malaria. Sure. So they show but after the first time I've called in I just it's something that's affecting me at the moment yeah. sorry about that Prof obviously quite a quite an issue there um, with the yeah it, it is and I have full sympathy with the caller it, it is tricky everybody's trying to get in and we keep on saying to people stop stockpiling rather leave whatever is available for the critically ill and those that legitimately need it um, but you know human nature is what it is and uh, and I, I'm also aware of the fact that from pharmacies, certainly the Gauteng pharmacies, most of them that I've tried to get uh, information from, chloroquine is just completely sold out. Prof, we'll be back again next week. I promise you there are lots of people who want to talk to you. Thank you for your time. Thank you. It's a great pleasure. All Prof- the best to you and to the listeners. Thank you, Professor Adriana Duse, who is a HOD of Clinical Microbiology and Infectious Diseases at Wits University and the National Health Laboratory Services. That takes us to 2 o'clock.